Sunday night we study God's Word together. And it's just great to see your response. We try to, I'm trying to do a verse-by-verse study of a book in the Bible or some theme or some person. And we happen to be concerning the life of Elijah. Chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Someone has gone to the trouble of counting all of the promises of God in the Bible. Regardless of the content of the promise or to whom the promise was made, just counted the promises of God in the Bible and reported that there are 7,474 promises of God in the Bible. Now, I haven't uh, taken the time to confirm that uh, report, but I haven't seen anything to repudiate it or all these promises for us. The question is not how many promises are there in the Bible. The question is, can I claim every one of them? There is a little chorus that we used to sing, every promise in the Bible is mine. I think that might be a great overstatement of the case. I don't think that we can claim for our life every promise in the Bible. In fact, I need to warn you against that. Ram and his book, Protestant Biblical Interpretation, tells about a guy who was struggling with trying to find the mind of God concerning whether he should join the service and whether he should go in the infantry or some other branch of the service or take some kind of a religious deferment. And he was reading God's Word and he came to that passage of Scripture that talks about going down to the sea in ships and he went and joined the navy. And Ram said, I need to warn you biblical uh, scholars concerning that kind of thing, purely coincidental that the man found that verse of Scripture. Wasn't anything scriptural or spiritual about it. Wasn't there to tell that man he needed to join the navy. Some of us claim the promises of God just like that. I want to give you a couple of guidelines concerning the promises of God that we need to come to uh, and understand uh, concerning the promises of God. The first we need, the question we need to answer is what kind of promise is it? Is it a personal promise or is it a universal one? That is, is it made to a particular person at a a specific time in, in, in history and was meant for that person only? Or does it have a universal application? That, that is, does it have a, is, there, is it a promise that is relevant to our time and our day? Let me give you an example of a personal promise that was meant at a specific time in life or history, not meant for our day. God came to Joshua and told him, He said, I want you to march around the city of Jericho one time every day. On the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times, blow the horn, blow the trumpet, and shout. And I promise you, the walls of the city will come down. It was a promise that God made to a man, but I don't think any military strategist wants to try that today. Or you turn to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus said that you will handle... By the way, this passage that I'm referring to is really, uh, some say, not in the original manuscripts, not even supposed to be in the Bible. But given that it was given a promise 
to, they, to, to, to that time, Jesus said, you can handle snakes and drink deadly poison and no harm will come to you. Don't try that. Some people did up in Tennessee. The title of the article was, Two Preachers Die. That'll tell you how relevant that promise was to them. And they had this service and they handled these serpents and to, and to prove their faith in God, they drank strychnine and died immediately. There's a second guideline we need to follow with regard to the promises of God. It's this. Is the promise of God conditional or unconditional? Now, there are some conditional promises in the Bible. A conditional promise is fulfilled when we fulfill the condition. Let me give you an example of a conditional promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's your part. And lean not on your own understanding. That's your part. And all your ways acknowledge Him. That's your part. And He will direct your path. That is His part. So that the guidance and the direction of God in the fulfillment of that promise is upon your fulfillment of the condition. Now sometimes we get pretty discouraged because the promises of God are not fulfilled or kept. And we need to check, take a long look. Are we meeting the conditions? I tell you, sometime it would be a good idea for you just to sit down and go through the, some of the passages of the Bible and write out in the margin of your Bible, this is an unconditional promise of God for me. Now 1 Kings chapter 18 and Elijah. I want to call your attention to verse 1 because there was the promise of God. It is a conditional promise. And so God said to Elijah, and it came about after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. And the promise is conditional. The rain was going to come when Elijah and, and, and if Elijah went to Ahab. The promise was made to a specific man in a specific time, a promise to Elijah. Now look at verse 41 of the same chapter. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. Now, let me just pause parenthetically to, to, to say something about verse 41. Because at the moment um, Elijah said that word, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. The people who claim the promises of God hear things that other people can't hear. And they see things that other people can't see. Now some people will say, well, it was beginning to rain on the Mediterranean and water is a perfect acoustic and he heard the shower coming from the Mediterranean. I want to show you something. Look at chapter 18, verse 26. For some strange reason, this verse that's translated, the word translated sound in verse 41, is translated voice in other places, in every other place. For example, verse 26. It says... But there was no voice, same word as the word translated sound in verse 41. Verse 29. And it came about when midday it was past that they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, same word as translated sound, verse 41. 
Look at chapter 19, verse 13. And it came about when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice, same word, translated sound. Verse 41, I submit to you that what Elijah heard was the voice of God. You ever heard that voice? Now, it's difficult for me to explain tonight how that voice comes. If you've never heard the voice of God then there's no way for any preacher to stand up here and be able to describe that. I'm not telling you that I've heard any audible sound, any audible voice, but you who have heard the voice of God can, can testify that down in the deep, in the heart of hearts, in the inner part, there comes this assurance of God, this voice of the Lord. It's a marvelous thing. It's what Karen uh, sang about out there in Glorietta, God spoke to her. Now, I've had people say to me, I've never had God speak to me. That's a, you know, that's a, you know, that's a pretty sad thing. And sometimes that, that voice is like a calm assurance. Sometimes it's more uh, discernible than an audible voice. But what Elijah heard was God speaking to say, the rain is coming, man, and the assurance came. Now, how long do you pray for something? I think you pray until you get what you're praying for. Or I think you pray until you get the assurance that you will get what you pray for. Or you pray until you get no for an answer. But God will speak to the heart of man who is walking with God, who is obedient to God, who meets the conditions of the promise. He heard the voice of the Lord. Now, the promise is claimed in verse 42 and following. I want to give you five things that are, I think, essential, a part of claiming the promises of God in prayer, okay? Five fundamental fundamentals of claiming the promises of God in prayer. Beginning verse 42. So Elijah went up to eat and drink. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. First principle of claiming God's promise in prayer. Essential of prayer is separation. He separated himself to the top of Carmel. Don't underestimate the place of prayer. One reason why we have so, such a weak prayer life is that we don't have a place for prayer. When you really want to draw near the heart of God, you're going to have to get away from the din place separation. It's what Jesus was talking about when he said, enter into your closet. Now, I don't know whether they, I don't suppose he meant literally. What he meant was you need a place of separation where you can close the world out and you close yourself in. Now anybody can pray anytime. He can talk to God. I mean, you can pray driving down the road, but you can't get in a closet driving down the road. That is, you can't shut the world out and you can't shut yourself in. The first essential of claiming the promises of God in prayer is separation. Second is humility. Now look at verse 42. But Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he crouched down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. It's the picture of absolute humility. 
Now, I'm impressed with this because of its context. Because when Elijah, had, when, when Elijah got into this position of humility, it was immediately after he had routed all of Baalism. I mean, he had just called down fire. He had just won the battle of high noon. He had just come from the greatest conquest in the history of God's people. And there he is in a position of humility. It sure is hard to get in that position after some great victory. We're so arrogant and self-sufficient and we claim so much of the glory ourselves. It's so difficult after a great battle to get in a position of humility. Claiming the promises of God is dependent upon humility. Number three, verse 43. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. He got specific. That's number three. He, got, he was specific. Now, don't beat around the bush with God in prayer. You can be specific with Him. I, and I was getting ready for this sermon. I turned to that marvelous chapter on prayer, the book of, of the 11th chapter of the, of the Gospel of Luke, and read again the story of that, woman, that, that man uh, uh, coming to his neighbor's house and knocking on the door at midnight saying, Give me three loaves. I mean, he got specific. You don't have to beat around the bush. You have a need, tell God about it. Somebody asked your phone number tonight, you wouldn't say 92407, oh, probably three, you know, 2468, somewhere along in there. If somebody asks you your address, you say, oh, I, well, I live on Live Oak, somewhere on the west part of town over on Live Oak. You're not going to do that. Why is it that we come to God and, 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 and we, we beat around the bush and we say, Lord, I just want your will to be done. You can tell God what you need. He was specific. Number four, he was persistent and fervent. Anybody can handle an answer as long as it's immediate, as long as it's fast. Look at verse 43, last part. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back seven times. Persistence. Why persistence? Well, it proves your sincerity to God. Someone has said, heaven is determined not to give. What we're not determined, heaven shall give. And sometimes persistence overcomes the resistance of Satan. You turn to the 10th chapter of Daniel sometime, and, 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 and the passage in there deals with the persistent prayer. It said, I heard your prayer the first day. 21 days later, the answer came. I heard your prayer the first day, but the evil one resisted. What if you had just prayed one more day? Sometimes I feel kind of ashamed to keep on in importunity and persistence. And then I think, what if God wants me to pray one more day? What if Satan is resisting and just one more day I would have overcome? Go back seven times. It's a perfect number to the Jews. You keep going back to God. Principle number five. Elijah was expectant. All he had, listen, he said, so he came back about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and wind. 
Wait, verse 44. It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. Small as a man's hand. All he had was a cloud the size of a man's hand and the promise of God. That's all he had. And he said, Get ready for the big thunderstorm. You don't have to have much evidence. Cloud the size of a man's hand, and all you need is the promise of God. Now look at the promise fulfilled. I'll show you something absolutely hilarious. So it came about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Now Jezreel is 18 miles from this point here. 18 miles. Underline that thought in your mind. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, that is, he got his long robe and tied it around him, and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. You talk about how, you know, something I'd really like to have some fun with. Now, my imagination goes crazy when I see that picture. You talk about a first cross-country marathon race champion. This guy outran the horses of Ahab. I mean, Ahab got this chariot out, tied two horses to it, and set out for Jezreel. And he was pumping them down through there. And he looks over there and coming around him on the outside lane is this prophet with his robe tied around his legs, hooking them. And I just, I just have this funny feeling that, that he just kind of did this double take, you know. And, and, and Ahab said, you know, thought to himself, when this guy came to me the first time, told me it wasn't going to rain for three years. And the next time I saw him, it's coming back from Zarephat, and, 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 and told me that, that, you know, took me up on, on, uh, uh, to Mount Carmel and called down fire. I thought, that's the weirdest guy I've ever seen. I know he's weird. Look at that thing. And he was circling by him, running ahead of his chariot. He wasn't weird. Let me tell you what was different about him. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. You know how to get the hand of the Lord on your life? You know how to run ahead of chariots? You know how to, you know how to overcome men like Ahab? You know how to get the hand of God upon your life? You get it in prayer. That's where it comes. I don't know of a man tonight who has the hand of God upon his life that hadn't spent hours of his life in prayer. The thing that makes a difference in the life of the Elijahs of the world is a man's prayer life. Oh, how I'd like to have the hand of God upon my life and ministry, you say upon my, my, my parenting, upon my business, upon my relationships, in my peers. Let me tell you how to get the hand of God upon you. You get on the knees. Start claiming His promises. And you say, well, Elijah was a superhero. No, he wasn't really. I want to show you something. Turn to the book of James, will you? Just kind of put your finger there and take a quick trip to the right, all the way to the end of the Bible. Little old epistle over in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 17.
James chapter 5 comes right after Hebrews. If you can find that, if you can't find that, find Timothy. If you can't find that, look on with your neighbor. James 5, 17. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He's just like you. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And he prayed again. He was a man just like you are, a person, a human being, just like you. And he prayed, and God put his hand on him. Now I learned two lessons from this. Get these. We'll flip over to the back of this thing and we'll be out of here in time for the choreography over to youth deal and uh, other interests. First lesson. <laughs> Private joke. First lesson. Prayer is exciting, but it's never glamorous. You ever notice that? Prayer is exciting, but it's never glamorous. The hardest work, the hardest thing that I have to do in pastoring this church is to get along with God in prayer. I tell you, the devil resists me. It's the hardest job. And I want to confess to you, when I get into prayer, and I really get into prayer, I think some of the meanest thoughts that I think a whole day long, Satan puts them there in my mind. He knows that the battle is won or lost in the prayer closet. It's exciting to pray, but it's never glamorous. It's difficult. I confess to you, it's difficult. Second lesson, the promises of God are available, but they are not automatic. The promises of God are available, but they're not automatic. There are some things that you and I must do before the promises of God can be fulfilled. Now look on the back. You're already there, but I guess. Here's the, here's, the, here's the formula. There has to be the discovery. Find the promise. What's God's promise for me? Then in prayer, you claim the promise. That's for me. God gave me that promise. The hard part, you rest in the promise. I know that God's promise for me, I can rest in it. And then there is the experience, experiencing of the promise. And I think that we all can say that sometimes we experience the promise before we ever experience the promise. That is, before there ever is the fulfillment of the promise, the assurance is so great, it's just like having it already. And so Jesus said, whatever you ask, believing, believe, if you believe that you have it, you'll have it. 
It seemed like a contradiction. He said, if you believe you will have that you have it, then you will have it. You believe you have it already, then you'll get it. What he meant was, if you rest in the promise and you have the assurance of the promise, it's just like having the promise. Let's pray together. Father, we claim the promise tonight that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. We believe that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We claim that promise tonight, those of us who are lost and separated from God. We claim that salvation you promise upon our confession of faith. We believe that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We are saved, confess our sins, and we receive the cleansing, the forgiveness. Oh God, we claim the promise that you've made for us for this moment. Rest in its fulfillment and the assurance of it. In Jesus' name. Now we have three invitations that we, we will offer, we'll give to you by the authority of God's Word. The first invitation is for you to receive Christ as your personal Savior. About a year ago, in this congregation, in this auditorium, we were having people saved in every service. A revival was going. People were claiming Christ as their personal Savior. God saves us when we get right as Christians and when lost people call upon Him to be saved. We invite you tonight, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, to come and claim the, the promise, come and receive the gift that He's promised you when Jesus died. If you'll trust Him, if you'll confess your sin to Him, your need of salvation, He'll save you, take you to heaven. Or maybe there's an invitation that you need to respond to, that is to join the church or to be a better Christian, a better witness, to rededicate yourself to Christ. You know you're already a Christian, but you've wandered away from God. and You've not been praying. You can't pray because there's things between you and God. It blocks Him out. You want to come tonight, rededicate yourself, get those things straight so God's hand can be upon your life. And the uniqueness of that hand upon your life will be evident to those around you. Would you do it? We'll sing a song or two, give you an opportunity. It's up to you. Come on, let's stand, let's come while we sing.